0: You're listening to The Perch Pod from Perch Perspectives. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of The Perch Pod. As usual, I'm your host. I'm Jacob Shapiro. I'm also the founder and chief strategist of Perch Perspectives, which is a human-centric business and political consulting firm. We've got a great episode for you today. Uh, Gary Golden joined us to talk about cryptocurrency, decentralized finance, and Cardano. Uh, Gary is an academically trained futurist. He helps clients bring structure and discipline to exploring the implications of long-term change. I've always felt that Gary and I were kindred spirits in a way, we're both very focused on the future. I obviously think about the future from a geopolitical perspective. So I'm trying to think about how geography and political power is going to shape future decisions. Uh, Gary comes at this from a futurist perspective and he's thinking about energy and technological advances and other sorts of things Um, we have a very similar focus even if we um, have very different approaches and how to get there and that's why i love talking to gary so much Um, sometimes we disagree with things but often we end up in the same general points from very different directions which at least for me is heartening because i respect gary a lot and that makes me feel good that we're, we're sort of ending up in the same place we recorded this on friday march 26th this is not going to come out until early May. For all I know, Elon Musk is going to be accepting Ethereum by that point for for Tesla's. So that's enough of that. Um, Let's get on to the conversation with Gary. Cheers, y'all. Listen, so it's not so often we have a futurist on the podcast. And I want to take advantage of this for our listeners who are mostly thinking about politics or who are politics nerds. Um, But I want to start just with, in layman's terms, what is blockchain? Like just really you know, a lot of people use that word. They're throwing it around. I think oftentimes if you ask them, well, what does blockchain mean? They're like, I don't know. I buy some Bitcoin on eToro or something like that. So what, what do we mean when we say blockchain? What does that mean?
1: Yeah. So by definition, a blockchain is simply a distributed ledger, which in the cryptocurrency context will hold the transaction history of the value exchange between a cryptocurrency. So Bitcoin is arguably the first blockchain application. Uh, It's the first cryptocurrency project that that was built on top of this distributed ledger infrastructure. And and the the real differentiation with blockchain is that the the transaction ledger itself is managed not by a central authority, but by the network itself. So it is by design censorship resistant. Uh, It's resilient. Uh, and um, very difficult to attack and kind of take down. So blockchain is basically just a new database for the modern world, and the the first applications have been cryptocurrency, but it's quite possible that we could start to see blockchain-based data solutions outside of uh, cryptocurrency at some point in the future.
0: Yeah, and I I think that one of the things that maybe people don't think about basically every transaction you're making in your life, there's an intermediary, your car payment, your mortgage, uh, buying a cup of coffee at Starbucks, your insurance policies for all the things that you just bought with the money that I just talked about. All of those go through intermediaries. And like you said, there's this centralized authority that is in charge of keeping track of the legitimacy of that information. And blockchain, to me, it, it basically just gets rid of the third party. And in some ways, it's not it's not really a cutting edge technology in, in the same sense that fracking is not a cutting edge technology. It's the combination of technologies, right? Fracking is just the combination of hydraulic fracturing with horizontal drilling. Blockchain in some ways, is is it fair to describe it as a similar way? It combines cryptography and peer to peer networks and programming or am I simplifying things there too much?
1: No, I would say that's accurate. And I, and I think the big thing is it, the digital currency piece. Uh, you and I can exchange physical currency. I could give you a $20 bill and without the use of a bank or a payment rail, but uh, blockchain takes away the need for that broker um, in when we exchange value. So so Bitcoin is essentially a bank without a bank. And this this idea of, of disintermediating that broker, that, that middleman, is the ideological root <laughs> of the cryptocurrency movement so for this this largely kind of libertarian egalitarian world they they see bitcoin as a bank without a bank they imagine that on top of blockchain we'll be able to build uber without uber ebay without ebay itunes without itunes healthcare data marketplace without healthcare insurance provider so it it is it is at its ideological root about radical decentralization. In reality, when we (laughs) see blockchain mature, I think you will see new types of brokers, but those brokers will not control the network. Their role will basically be to add features and layers that bring value and you pay them, and you'll never be locked into that broker. Like you'll or that third party you'll never be locked in uh, as long as you have that baseline blockchain interoperability at the bottom
0: yeah you'll never be locked in and also they'll never be able to change the rules of the game which, which I think one yeah. of the things that, that makes people uncomfortable is they're like oh Bitcoin it's the wild West out there whereas if I yeah. if I go through these intermediaries that I quote unquote trust due to inertia or because I've never imagined it differently that's how somehow more secure but it's actually not because those third parties, do all the time they change the yeah. game, and the idea behind, as you said, with the blockchain and, and the the ledger, is that no, like on both sides, even if you don't trust each other, you can't actually exchange the currency or make the contractor do any of this stuff until you've resolved certain conditions, and that's it. That's how it goes. It actually almost um, guarantees that there's no manipulation in that sense, right?
1: Yeah. So this, you're you're really hitting on the kind of the the, the second layer of the ideology behind particular Bitcoin, which is that. No governance is a feature. So blockchain evangelists will argue that one of the appeals of, of Bitcoin in particular is that you can't change it. Uh, in order to make certain adjustments and upgrades to the protocol, you need to have uh, you know, a little bit of luck and persuasion where you get all of the people, these miners that operate the network to agree on this new protocol and, and do what's often called as a hard fork or a soft fork where you basically create a new protocol. Um, so that, that idea of, of uh, something cannot be changed is part of the appeal. Now, there are uh, other cr- cryptocurrency blockchain projects beyond Bitcoin that believe that, that governance uh, indeed is a benefit and a feature. Uh, we can talk about that later. But uh, really what launched this era was the idea of you know, no governance is a benefit to Bitcoin. You know things won't change.
0: Okay, so that's blockchain. I think we've defined that nicely. Mm-hmm. And, and we've mentioned Bitcoin now. Define cryptocurrency for me. We've kind of yeah. talked about it in circles, but what, what's a two-sentence or just a quick definition of cryptocurrency?
1: Yeah, so we're going to give a bit of a circular definition. So cryptocurrency is, is a digital currency where the transactions are verified and maintained on a blockchain database. So a cryptocurrency is basically a, you know, it's a digital currency that is managed on this decentralized ledger. And in some cryptocurrency projects, it is simply a a store of value. The cryptocurrency doesn't have any features or programmability. And in other cryptocurrency platforms, you can actually code the money. So it's this idea of programmable money. Where I can not just give you, you know, equal to one, you know, Jacob coin, but I can give you one Jacob coin that says this coin may only be spent on equipment made in the United States or food at a grocery store. So that that, that ability to program cryptocurrency is uh, probably the direction that the that the sector is headed. And
0: and, so, and just to, to, to drive it home for listeners, yeah. so what is the difference between, say, a digital currency, so a digital yeah. dollar or a digital RMB, yeah. and a cryptocurrency? Because I feel like those things are often conflated, and they're in yeah. some ways, they're actually opposing ideas.
1: Yeah. So, well, a digital currency, in, in my mind, is, is simply, you know, it's, base, it's based in the, the digital world, so it can be uh, transferred and transmitted across internet protocols, et cetera. And uh, cryptocurrency is itself secured through cryptography. So, what what secures that store of value, that currency, is a set of what are called consensus mechanisms that protect the network and protect the record of that cryptocurrency. So, it's uh, you know a digital a digital currency is probably less secure. Um, uh, than a cryptocurrency uh, uh, on the spectrum.
0: And then one, one of the questions I get most often from crypto mm. skeptics, once they finally <laughs> kind of get these definitions lodged into their head, I feel like the first yeah. question is always, okay, so what backs cryptocurrency? What? Why is yeah. the cryptocurrency worth anything? So if I was to throw that skeptical yeah. question at you, how do you answer it?
1: Well, I would agree that it's one of the reasons why you want to be skeptical about cryptocurrency. So we live in a world where uh, you know, fiat currencies are backed by governments, backed by the nation state, and the policies of that nation state can uh, you know, increase the money supply or decrease the money supply. So we can print money or we can buy it back and take it out of the circulation, um, but it is backed by the government and there is a lot of um, political certainty or uncertainty that gets embedded into that fiat model. Cryptocurrencies are basically backed by the protocol of the cryptocurrency project. So it is essentially math that backs the cryptocurrency. So in the Bitcoin case, there are only 21 million Bitcoin, according to the protocol that will ever exist in the world. And again, because of that lack of governance, that lack of changeability, we know that in 50 to 100 years, there will only be 21 million Bitcoin. Um, So there are people that believe that um, entities like governments that back money are inherently corrupt or subject to manipulation, and they simply want to avoid that. And cryptocurrencies for those players are more appealing because of um, this idea that math or the protocol itself is what backs the currency. Now, I, the, the challenge there is things change, and we all may, you know, some, someone may not agree with, uh, you know, big government macroeconomic policy uh, their whole lives until something happens, and then they suddenly want the Fed to print more money <laughs> to keep the economy afloat. So it's, it's, a, it's an ideological bet at the end of the day.
0: Yeah. And that's, well, yeah. And I, I want to dive into that a little bit because I feel like cryptocurrency and in particular Bitcoin and gold are often sort of <clears throat> compared to each other as storehouses of value, even though confusingly, you know, gold is a physical, tangible asset. And that's, I mean, there's not a, I guess there is a finite amount of gold in the world, unless we've got an alchemist who figures out the the secret key to <laughs> to gold wealth, which I'm sure will happen at some point. You got to think they're making diamonds already, but let, let's, uh, I won't go down that rabbit hole, but how do you, um, do, do you make the comparison between gold and crypto in that sense, or do you think it's a yeah. faulty one?
1: I, I think that the, the most appropriate analog for gold as a store of value is, is Bitcoin.
0: And, and again, I know we're going to move beyond Bitcoin
1: soon here, but Bitcoin is, is the store of value equivalent of gold in the, in the digital crypto world. Uh, there's no cash flow. Right. There's mechanisms to, to get savings and, you know, financialize it. But uh, Bitcoin is essentially a store of value, much like gold is. And uh, like gold, it's finite. Um, so I think that th- that store of value application of currency is valid, you know, but there are other uses of currencies. You know, we use currencies in payments. We use currencies as commodities. It's, it's, it, there's a blurring of the definition of currency ahead of us if we truly embrace crypto. Um, so I, I think Bitcoin gold is a good analog. I wouldn't go much further than that
0: at mm. this point. I think it's also important for, for listeners who are in developed markets, whose maybe experience of life is only with a stable currency, uh, to broaden their perspectives a little bit here. Because, yeah, it seems kind of crazy if I'm telling you, um, you know, the dollar is, is being manipulated, the euro is corrupt, the yen, the, the, the system is rigged. It, that's true in some sense, but that kind of sounds kind of crazy and conspiracy theory-esque. The, the real application I think comes if you're, let's say you're somebody in Turkey and you're watching the Turkish government um, really just tank the value of the lira for a combat. I, I can't tell if Erdogan is senile or if he's incompetent or if he, I'm not sure what's going on there. But if you're a Turk and you have your savings in lira right now, you're getting slammed. You're, you're watching like the value of, of your life go down 20, 30% because of what this government is doing in a crazy way. And I think the argument behind Bitcoin in that sense is nobody can do that. So even if the government is doing crazy things, uh, even if the you know, value of the currency explodes or or falls or whatever, you have some kind of reliable sense of of what you have. And I think, I don't know, like I said, I think in, in developed countries that that concept is not there yet because we haven't dealt with runaway inflation. I don't know, for for a generation, is it fair to say? We're, we're watching how even the scepter of 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 inflation is driving people crazy right now in the market.
1: Yeah. And 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 that, you know, goes to Venezuela and Lebanon and you know there's there's a growing list of 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 countries and regions where inflation is really taking hold. Um, so I do think that 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 experience limits the perceived value among certain populations. And then the other component that, that I think aligns well with that is Um, for the most part, you and I don't have any problems with the financial system, right? We have bank accounts, we have economic identity, we have, uh, you know, insurance-backed savings and checking accounts. But if you go to, you know, Ethiopia and you're talking with a coffee farmer, you know, you're going somewhere else in the world uh, where there is more of this unbanked uh, population, there is greater potential for cryptocurrencies to play a more positive role in, in in that setting. So I think that the you know part of the the challenge in imagining the like the so what of cryptocurrency is really being able to step out of our own lives and imagine the needs and conditions of hundreds of millions and billions of people that are unbanked today by our traditional system.
0: Yeah. I, I can hear the sound of the birds, but before we get to the birds mm. that, that you're talking about, um, I want to—I just want to have one more definitional yeah, sort of please. question, or 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 lay it out before we dive into some of the wonky stuff. So, um, we've talked about blockchain, we've talked about currency, digital currency, that divide. What is decentralized finance, and how is that different than, say, blockchain or some of the things we've already talked about?
1: Yeah, so, so decentralized finance is, is only possible with a blockchain cryptocurrency world. And uh, DeFi, which is often the, the, the shorter term used, refers to many of the things that we can do in the world with the help of that third party broker. So uh, lending money, borrowing money, establishing an contract, doing swaps, currency trading, all of that stuff requires a central financial stack and a set of central financial players to handle. Uh, DeFi is simply the ability to do all those things on that blockchain network. So right now, uh, if you are part of the Ethereum blockchain world, and you have, let's say you have $100,000 worth of Ethereum in your account that you own, that you control, you can use a smart contract to basically collateralize, let's say, 50% of that value and take out a loan for $10,000, dollars $20,000, and then pay that loan back to yourself at whatever interest rate you deem fit, which for most people is going to be 0%. <laughs> so uh, DeFi refers to this ability to kind of bank yourself um, and uh, still control your Asset, you're just simply leveraging it and establishing the rules and establishing the escrow and all the accountability mechanisms on your own. And if you fail to pay back that loan, then the contract will will seize your collateral. Right? So DeFi is really the big story here. <laughs> the big story is not the emergence of, of cryptocurrency. The big story is you know decentralized finance, which which truly takes away the the value proposition of many of these uh, financial service providers, right? If I can do it myself, or I can do it in a shared liquidity pool with other people, uh, I don't need a bank. I don't need an insurer. So DeFi is in its very early stages. I think the the amount of money currently locked in DeFi contracts is about $50 billion. And you you and I are speaking now in March of 2021. Uh, We need to imagine that over the next decade that there will likely be, you know, one to two trillion dollars globally locked inside of DeFi contracts where individuals and institutions are giving themselves loans, lending money, borrowing money, establishing contracts without the need of a traditional financial player. So DeFi is really the big story right now. Um, And and just the the final piece on that is right now, DeFi is largely bound to a single blockchain. So Ethereum really is the dominant player in this space. But when we move forward in the years ahead, uh, DeFi will almost certainly, for liquidity stake, be a multi-chain sector. Right? It it will go across these different blockchain projects. So from Ethereum to Cardano to Polkadot to Algorand, etc. cetera.
0: That that seems to me to be one of the the biggest hurdles that they're going to have to overcome the the interoperability of these things because one of the nice yeah. things about currency right now is the dollar is the dollar you can go trade it at a bank for euros or whatever yeah. else you need yeah. getting all these networks and platforms to talk to each other yep. um, that that feels like the biggest hurdle are are you worried that that it's in an insurmountable hurdle or do you feel like it's just it's just a matter of time.
1: It's just a matter of time. So I, I think the a great analog would be the the Microsoft and, and Apple battles back in the day, and the lack of compatibility, and you know that was really the result of just passionate tribes of of customers and fans just locked into this platform. Mm-hmm. And now you know I use this this application over the web across this platform. Uh, today, cryptocurrency platforms like Ethereum and Cardano and and Polkadot are, are really being driven by the core founding early adopter communities, and they don't like each other for the most part. It's, it's definitely a mindset of a zero sum future. So the prospects of interoperability over the next few years is probably slim, but as the world matures and more institutions and you know less passionate players capitalize these blockchain platforms uh, the more likely we'll see interoperability
0: yeah um well the, why don't they like each other do you think do, do you have a an explanation for
1: that <laughs> i wish i did it it is a i i think that the anyone involved in cryptocurrency is is really going to come at it from you know one of two places one is they just want to make money and they're day trading and they don't care about the mission of the project. They don't care about the mechanics. They just see this very volatile, dynamic trading opportunity and they want to capture the, 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 the flows. And then the other type of person is really committed to the principles and the ideology of the project. And, and, and they want to see that social mission realized. Um, and uh, everyone in crypto from either side is criticized by the mainstream world. Right. You, you know, if you say you're if you say you're, you're you own cryptocurrencies at the family dinner during the holidays, you get the look from the rest of the family, right? Like, what is it? Why are you doing that? You're going to lose your money. Didn't it crash? Um, so there's a defensiveness associated with being a fan of cryptocurrency.
0: Yeah, although I think that defensiveness is melting a little bit, not from the ideological standpoint, but I mean, um, I'll throw my sister under the bus here on the podcast. <laughs> I love you, Leah, but. She she called me the other day out of the blue, and she's not interested in this kind of stuff. She she wouldn't have known what Bitcoin was a couple of years ago if it, you know, from she wouldn't know Bitcoin from a cup of coffee, probably. Um yeah. and and she called me a couple of weeks ago and said, Hey, um, what how do I buy Bitcoin? Is that something that I should do? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, let's let's stop yeah. for a second and talk about that. Who who are you talking to yeah. in your rural yeah. Georgian community that is trading in, in crypto? <laughs> And yeah. everywhere I go now, people, it's like the new hot thing to do in the same way that yeah. stonks were really popular six months ago. Now everybody's moved on to crypto and they're talking about yeah. their big gains. So I, I think some of that is melting. It's its the, yeah. I don't think there's any appreciation of what it means, that ideological yeah. challenge to the status quo. That I don't think is apparent at all. Not at all. And, and I think
1: most, if they've got a sense of the kind of ideological underpinnings, it's It's probably rooted in like a, an anti-Wall Street or anti-bank, less of a little bit more nuanced sense of centralization versus decentralization, Mm -hmm. right? Like blockchain and cryptocurrency really is about decentralization as the primary theme, the decentralization of power, pushing power to the edges. And we're just not there yet with the mainstream world. Um, but as you said, yeah, I've got friends and family reaching out to me, asking me about it, if they should buy. And I've started within just a friends and family circle. I've got a, a crypto investor club. Um, so I am now actively onboarding people. So it, it is certainly more mainstream. Um, but if, if we look at just, just past analogs of you know, so-called disruptive platforms and technologies and business models, you know, it usually takes five to twenty years for the full maturity to really uh, unfold. So, I would say we're probably at least five to ten years away from cryptocurrency and a world where individuals have multiple cryptocurrencies in their in their life um, is is truly mainstream. Yeah, but but we're close. We're closer than we were in two thousand eighteen.
0: Yeah, and in during, some ways, I think the pandemic race. has has accelerated things a little bit.
1: It's accelerated, and then I think there's a generational component. So if you were to look at the kind of younger millennial and and, uh, older set of Gen Z, I think that that cohort is going to look at a, let's say, a a 30% portion of their wealth portfolio in cryptocurrencies as not just acceptable, but smart. So it's it's we're, we're just a couple of years away from a generational attitude tipping point.
0: All right. So that that's the shallow end of the pool. Let's start yeah. to, to dip our <laughs> toes into the deeper end. Uh, Bitcoin. I don't think we need to do a whole lot about Bitcoin. I think you've sort yeah. of explained rightly. It's like gold. It's like any other commodity. You can speculate with it. I guess if you want to pay Elon Musk for a Tesla with it, you can do that now too. Mazel tov, Elon. I, I think you're crazy. Um, but let's you you centered in on DeFi and decentralized yeah. finance being the real thing here. And you've mentioned Ethereum, you've mentioned Cardano, and I know that you and I both want to talk about Cardano. But in mm-hmm. the DeFi, in that DeFi sense of it, what are the currencies? Is it just the, those two? Are there some more vying for it? Who are the ones that are really yeah. focused in? on that ideological aspect that you're identifying is so important here.
1: Yeah. So I think the distinction we want to make is because DeFi kind of is, is, is more of a, like a level two, a layer two. Mm -hmm. Um, What you want to talk about are the development platforms, the platforms themselves that have their own unique protocols and consensus mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, if we look at, We'll just look at the analog. It's like uh there was a friendster and social networks, then there was MySpace, then there was Facebook, and then Instagram and Twitter and Pinterest, and it kind of exploded. Um, Bitcoin is that first generation, it's the mothership. Um Ethereum was the second generation blockchain platform, and what Ethereum brought to the table was this idea of smart contracts where we can program uh, and, and, and bring functionality to cryptocurrencies. So Ethereum really was that first smart contract-based platform, um, but has its own challenges based off of architectural design choices that were made. And then projects like Cardano are what we would consider to be third-generation blockchain platforms. And Cardano, really, the best way to think about Cardano is that it is infrastructure for three things. One is crypto assets, so your cryptocurrencies. The second is economic identity. And then the third is governance. So when you look at the landscape today, 2021 of of cryptocurrency projects, it's mostly third generation platforms. Mm. So Cardano, there's Polkadot, Algorand, Avalanche, Elrond, there's a whole host of the, it's really, it's, it's a Cambrian explosion era, right? <laughs> and then I think very quickly the, the tendency is going to be to think, well, which one is going to win, right? And have a zero sum uh, outlook rather than think of, you know, the, the software world as, you know, world where there's SAP, Oracle, Microsoft, Amazon, Apple, Google, IBM. Um, there will be multiple blockchain platforms. Uh, but, but I, I believe we're, we're at the tipping point of growing past Bitcoin and Ethereum. I think that's the next stage for the world.
0: And I, th- I think this is where we can zero. And I, I think yeah. you, you think Cardano is is the one, I think, to kind of open up that door to that new yeah. future. And full disclosure, yeah. I hadn't heard of Cardano until you were tweeting <laughs> about it a couple months ago. And <clears throat> honestly, I, I was kind of skeptical of yeah. of cryptos in general. Um, I I had even said to a friend of mine six months ago, he asked me, you know, if I wanted to buy crypto, I was like, I'm never buying crypto, I don't get that stuff. Like, I'm I'm old fashioned, this thing is good enough for me. And then you started tweeting about Cardano. And I started reading about Cardano and listening to Charles Hoskinson and all this other stuff. And I started singing a different tune because I had gone from that sort of, oh, this is just speculative trading to no, there's actually, there's a meteor thing here underneath all this, that is actually incredibly disruptive um, and incredible, I mean, almost revolutionary. I, I don't throw that word a- around lightly yeah. sort of thing. So wh- why do you think Cardano though, is the, the one that's going to not rule them all. Cause like you said, we don't want to think about this in zero sum terms, but why is that one going to sort of kick the door into this new era? Yeah.
1: yeah. So I, you know, the, my full disclosures are, you know, one, I, I am a member of the global Cardano community. I, am you know, a, a voice within this community. Uh, I'm an investor. So I, I have a, I have a, you know, uh, a confidence in Cardano that at this point is kind of unshakable. <laughs> um, I believe that Cardano is going to become, over the next 10 years, the number one cryptocurrency platform in the world because of its comprehensiveness in its design and approach to growing the market. So, Again, Cardano was rooted in crypto assets, economic identity, and governance. Whereas the other blockchains are rooted in the idea that no governance is a feature, we don't want to be able to change. And Cardano is saying, we will change if we have to, (laughs) right? We need to build that mechanism in. Um, If you look at the, the technology underneath everything, Uh, Ethereum was developed largely between 2013-2017 by – let's just kind of stereotype things here a little bit Mm – by a bunch of largely young people sitting in coffee shops in Brooklyn, Berlin, Toronto, and London, right? It was built by people that do not have PhDs in (laughs) cryptography or economics, right? And they just kind of built it. And they made certain design choices that have now led to a lot of growing pains in Ethereum. Uh, about that same time, Cardano, which was founded largely by a gentleman named Charles Hoskinson, went around the world and they found the people that have the PhDs in cryptography and have the PhDs in you know uh, game theory and uh, macroeconomic policies and programming language design. And Cardano took this, you know, really embraced this idea that the slow way is the fast way. Uh, And Cardano is built on rock solid foundations. It uses formal methods that are essentially correct by construction. You can see the mathematical proof of the code. It uses what's called functional programming, which is a much better programming base to build financial applications than what Ethereum uses, which is called solidity. It's kind of, you know, just, they just created this language. Right. Um, And uh, Cardano is taking uh, an approach of working with institutions and governments. So Cardano is, is much more about integration and interoperability. They want to bank the unbanked and not just take down wall street. So, there are many reasons why I think Cardano is going to be successful, but but those are just a few. Um, it's it's just the smartest people in the room, and I think Cardano just has the, the best roadmap and and uh, 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 approach to long term sustainability.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of ironic that you say that that it's it it wants to integrate and all those things, but it's also um, I guess as of the last month or the last couple of months, it's the most decentralized of the of the crypto.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so we're, we're 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 at the in the weeds part of the, the the conversation here. So just two terms for people to understand: you can secure this network, you can secure the 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 uh, transaction ledger using uh, one of two consensus mechanisms. One is called proof of work, and this is what is currently used by Bitcoin and Ethereum, and this is the miner model where you have Uh, a bunch of people that have very specialized hardware and cheap electricity, and they are basically solving these complex mathematical problems. And then if they solve that problem, they get to write to basically verify all the transactions. Proof of work is very secure. It's very stable, but it's very energy intensive and expensive. Cardano has embraced what's called proof of stake. And instead of using all that energy to solve some mathematical proof, you basically have a network of stake pool operators that validate the transactions based off of their stake in the game. So I'm basically saying, here's a million ADA, I'm going to be a stake pool operator and verify these transactions. And if I incorrectly verify it, then you're going to take away from that stake, right? So they've kind of got skin in the game. So proof of stake is, uh, it uses less energy. Um, it is more democratic. And, and you could even argue that that the way proof of stake is set up on Cardano, it's more secure than Bitcoin. Like the amount of money you would need to try to hack the Cardano network now is basically unachievable for any, any players.
0: Does that mean that, you know, there, there's one of the things that has happened with Bitcoin is that it hasn't just become a storehouse of value. It's become a way to evade sanctions or to engage in black market trading, whether that's drugs or weapons or things like that. There's that great story of, um, I forget what the, the Germans arrested this guy for. I think maybe it was drugs. And he had the equivalent of 60 million or something in Bitcoin. And they wanted to requisition <laughs> 60 million of Bitcoin. He said, no, I'm not giving you the password to my account. So it just sits there forever yeah. in perpetuity until he decides to get going. But then, I mean... Iran is mining Bitcoin to get around sanctions. Yeah. And yeah. Iranian cities have had electricity blackouts because of the energy of these Bitcoin mining farms has been yeah. sucking up so much energy. China, kind of a similar thing in its relationships with the United States. Is, is, the, is Cardano going to be immune to that sort of thing? Or do you feel like that can happen to any of these cryptocurrencies?
1: I, I think it's, it can happen anywhere. I mean, it happens with the US dollar. Right. I think the, the, the narrative of, of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies being a preferred medium of exchange for criminal activities is probably overstated. So certainly the bypassing sanctions, that's, that's a different use case. But um, by definition, every transaction is verifiable and visible to the entire world. So if I somehow know that you are a criminal... Um, through other methods, I determine this, uh, I can basically find out your wallet and find the transaction of one of your exchanges and then find out who, which wallet had that Bitcoin prior. Mm-hmm. So the 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 forensic and uh, analytics associated with cryptocurrencies is very transparent. And I think if I was a criminal, the last thing I would want to be doing is stealing a cryptocurrency, right? It's much harder to... Uh, uh, evade the history and the record. So there are obviously going to be other use cases, but um, if criminals are going to use any form of currency, it's just going to happen. Could be a dollar, could be Cardano, could be Bitcoin, or you know, the renaming. It's 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 yeah.
0: Yeah. The, the funny thing inherent in what you're saying though is that the real problem is actually cash. Um, because you mine the Bitcoin and then you take the Bitcoin and put it into hard currency and then use the hard currency. And when yeah. you do that, when you get to the hard currency land, that's where you lose visibility yeah. and that's where all of that stuff can happen. Um, yep. So you know, a lot of people are, are, I think, afraid of some of these things because they think it's going to be used in nefarious ways. And to the extent it can be used that way, it's only because we have cash as this sort yeah. of way around the system. If you eliminated that, which China's trying to do that right now, um, yep. they're trying to do it because they want a digital RMB. They want to control everything at the Chinese state government level, yeah. um, but but it really—if if you get rid of clash cash, cash—you're closing the loopholes in that sense. Yeah, and 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 this this this
1: opens up a, a kind of another thread here, which is where are governments going to try to get their strength? Where's mm-hmm. the leverage um, within the cryptocurrency world? There are centralized exchanges, so you know Coinbase and Gemini or and Kraken are some of those better known mainstream platforms. This is where I go in and I can put in my bank account, my debit card, and I can buy a cryptocurrency. They have to use the KYC, know your customer protocols based off of that jurisdiction, Mm -hmm. right? The state and the the nation they're in. There are also, so that's governments already placed kind of their, their thumb on that scale. There are also what we refer to as decentralized exchanges, which are basically exchanges that do not require KYC. And there's going to probably be a race between centralized offerings that are regulated, decentralized offerings that are related, you know, and, and, and the government will constantly chase. But the end game is going to be uh, based off of uh, the, 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 the decision for people to either exist within the cryptocurrency space, and I have a wallet full of Cardano, ADA, Bitcoin, whatever it is, and I am buying things and spending that ADA without anyone knowing, or I exit into the uh, fiat world. Mm. And when I exit into that fiat world, it's going to be really hard to exit without a government entity knowing what I had. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of the wallet layer of this whole experience.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But, you know, and and pause in a moment here, but this really is an important uncertainty to explore, will people exist within the cryptocurrency world or exit? That is the question at the end of the day, because if you're just cashing out for fiat currency, then you're really not a revolutionary if you're existing within a cryptocurrency space, then you're, you're truly bringing something new into the world.
0: Yes. And, but again, for that, and this is where, you know, states get really involved here. I mean, India is talking about banning all cryptos. Now, um, Nigeria's banned them for, I think two years. China doesn't want cryptos. They want their own digital RMB. So they, I think a lot of these states are waking up to the threat of this, to their sources of power. Um, and like you said, um, to exist in the crypto space in some sense, uh, I don't know that the government can stop people from existing in the crypto space if they want, but they can, cert- they can certainly make it hard for you. And the harder yeah. it is and the more barriers there are for entry, I don't know, maybe the more time it takes. Maybe you have subsets and factions of the population that just, they're never going to do it. It's, it's actually pretty hard, I think, even for tech savvy people to start getting things like ADA and getting them into wallets, Absolutely. it's not easy cracking if you're listening right now your customer service sucks by the way <laughs> uh, fr- from a disgruntled person who doesn't like your customer service people yeah. um yeah, yeah so I, I think that's a big thing but let's uh, i want to ask now about some of the stuff that aid is doing and yeah um well actually before we do that there was one thing you said i wanted to zero in on which you talked about how you know bitcoin ethereum they can't change it's programmed yeah. in it's what it, it is what it is that's a benefit yeah. or a negative depending on your perspective you mentioned yeah. though the cardano they recognize that there has to be the ability to change. How does that work? Because who gets to make the changes? How, how is that all decided? Because that seems to be a little bit of a weak point because if they're integrating and they're trying to do all this stuff, um, suddenly you can change things that, that would make me a little bit uncomfortable.
1: Yeah. So this, this is, uh, basically the last, the last piece in the roadmap of the Cardano project, right? Um, They've decentralized the network. They have an act. They are basically the the largest and most functional proof of stake cryptocurrency project. Uh, there are smart contract functionalities coming online here in the months ahead, but the decentralization of governance is the final piece. How it's going to be done is incredibly detailed, but it essentially comes down to uh, uh, a democratic vote that. Uh, People that own ADA, that are, you know, investors in the project, they've helped to capitalize the value inside of the Cardano network, will be able to use proof of their ADA ownership to vote on certain parameters. So right now, Cardano is experimenting with governance around something called Project Catalyst. So Mm. Cardano is, is, is unique among most cryptocurrency projects in that, Every time you have a transaction, there is a fee to pay for you know that you know the, the servers, et cetera, the cost of storage, and part of that fee goes into a centralized treasury. And there is a way through Project Catalyst to submit proposals. So I want to I want to build a, a new wallet. I want to build a training program for African developers. I want to build a, a a podcast for Cardano. I submit that to Project Catalyst. And then ADA holders, members of the Cardano community, vote on giving you money for that project, right? So that is essentially a decentralized governance mechanism for a VC firm. Mm. Project Catalyst is a decentralized investment organization, right? Now, it's centrally monitored and operated right now, so it's not fully decentralized. But the vision is that you will be able to submit documents that are brought on chain. And if you wanna make a change to the protocol, that document has code in it that will be injected into the protocol. And that if a vote passes, that document that is now on chain will be injected into the, into the uh, core protocol of the project. So the governance is basically a voting system And it will be a combination of direct voting and then likely delegated voting. So you could probably see senators of Cardano in the future, Hmm. right? Which might drive a lot of people nuts, but you could see delegation of, you know, my ADA to another person that's more closely involved in the day-to-day of Cardano and that any change in the protocol itself will basically be brought in from the offline world into the on-chain environment and automatically updated. So it's incredibly technical and philosophical um, and 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 not guaranteed to succeed, right? This is the, the biggest turtle.
0: Yeah, that feels like the biggest stumbling block because I mean, yep. if, if we're gonna boil it down in a sense to the real philosophical issue, it's it's almost the age old argument of technocracy versus democracy. Do you want these decisions in the hands of people yep. who are experts and who are somehow sworn or legally Bound to do whatever in the best interest of the state yep. or the government or elected them or appointed them. I don't know how you know you, it depends sort of what polity you're in at that point
1: mm-hmm. versus
0: democracy, which um, isn't all democracy is not always good. Uh, yep. there's there's such a thing as tyranny of the majority. If if 75% Absolutely. of people are saying yes to this thing and it really screws over the other 25%, um, it's bad. Uh, democracy, um, obviously is can create wonderful political systems and representative government. It can also go the other direction. Democracy is yep. the, the starting point for liberal democracy. It's also the starting point for fascism. So it, it seems like that's going to be, yeah, that, that, that feels tricky. <laughs>
1: it, it It is, it is without a doubt, the most complicated piece of the whole Cardano picture. <laughs> um, I mean, you have to imagine, let's go out 10, 15 years. Cardano was a trillion dollar network, right? The amount of, of value inside the network that provides liquidity to all these different players is a trillion or $2 trillion. And they want to change that protocol. Well, there are going to be sides of that coin Mm -hmm. for people to to stand on. So it won't be perfect. It will be messy, but I do believe that the ability to change the system is more important. uh, Um, than being uh, just tied to something that was created in a world that may have already
0: changed. Right? Yes, in if future. you're if you're if you're just sticking with what's already there because it's there, you're you're a little more than a fundamentalist and that's not going to yeah. work. Yeah. Um, so it will be know, messy. It will be messy. <laughs> I know we're running up on time, but I, I have two more things I want to hit with please, you. Um, please. And in some ways these are devil's advocate things because yeah. I, I see the promise of Cardano and I also see some of the problems and I want to kind of yeah. draw both of those things out of you. The first though is what is Cardano doing in Ethiopia and why should people care?
1: Yeah. So, uh, Cardano as a community, um, has, has, has largely embraced this idea of, of a Pan-African strategy. So it's, it's not a, you know, a belief or strategy held by everybody, but it, it is certainly part of the, the, the larger, the larger whole. Um, Cardano again is integrating the cryptocurrencies, economic identity, and governance. And when you look at uh, places like Ethiopia, Nigeria, Ghana, Senegal, um, the 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 deficits that are exist for individuals within those environments is not simply currency based. Like there's a deficit in their ability to have uh, economic identity. Uh, permanent records, you know, do you own this land, health records, things of that nature, business ownership records. So what Cardano is doing is it's trying to work with uh, governments across Africa, most notably in Ethiopia, to onboard millions of people uh, into Cardano's economic identity platform, which is called PRISM and then use that onboarding of economic identity based off of this PRISM identity system to then provide everyone with a wallet that they can then use to have in store and trade ADA. So we don't know exactly how Cardano is going to um, unfold in Africa, but I think that the expectation is that it will be initially used as a foundation for supply chains. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking at farmers in Ethiopia that are generating coffee – And that in the world today, there is a premium for coffee that's developed using sustainable practices or developed, you know, by a small farmer versus a large farmer. Um, You can use Cardano to authenticate the origin of that coffee. And you can use Cardano to bring true price information to the farmer. And you can use Cardano to, you know, settle all the supply chain financing requirements from the beginning to the end. Uh, and there are people that believe that Cardano's first uh, uh, play in Africa is going to be supporting supply chains that are built on top of the second economic identity platform.
0: Yeah, and this is where I mean, investment, money, currency—all of that is sort of tangentially related. Or it depends if I have a financial or investment climate uh, client; it's a super big deal, and they want to talk about politics and geopolitics. But this use case is actually the one where it starts to really traipse on on where I think of myself as somewhat of an expert. Um, mm. And it makes me nervous because mm. on the one hand, I can, I can absolutely, and Ethiopia is a great example. I love that mm-hmm. Cardano chose Ethiopia because it shows the best and worst of this. Um, it's, it's a noble sentiment to try and get yeah. a community that, that is mostly unbanked, banked, um, yeah. to give you know, Ethiopian coffee farmers or whoever it is, control over, over their own money and, and a sort of independence from vicissitudes of foreigners or their own government. There's a real empowerment aspect to that uh, there's also a flip side though because it's a partnership with the ethiopian government and this ethiopian government has dreams of a much greater and more unified ethiopia mm-hmm. that sounds good theoretically but in practice yeah. i mean we just had a mini civil war in ethiopia because the Tigray yep. region didn't like what the central government was doing yep. central government sent in tanks and and bombed them yep. and put them into submission and ethiopia Um, Is an incredibly diverse country with lots of different ethnic groups, lots of different languages, and the leadership in Ethiopia right now, led by Abiy Ahmed, who a couple years ago won a Nobel Peace Prize before he was bombing his own people. Um, You know, he really does believe in that dream dream of a of a greater Ethiopia, Um, and maybe it's an ends justify the means sort of thing. But you can also see in the use of Cardano. Um, a way to extend that political desire. I mean, one of the things Mm -hmm. that that they're talking about um, is um, it's a a national identification system based on some of Cardano's technology or on the Cardano platform. And so, you know, that sounds good. It's good to have records. On the other hand, if the central government is controlling your identity in that way, and it has those overtly political goals, it can also sort of get uncomfortable. So, um, and I, I hear, especially when, when Charles goes on his YouTube sort of channel and talks about it, I hear a yeah. lot about the good stuff. And I hear less <clears throat> about, hey, like Absolutely. not everybody's um, desires are as noble as yours are. Not everybody's, um, yeah. you know, not everybody is as intellectually pure. It's nice that you've got all the PhDs and experts in the room. But when you're going into the Ethiopian government, you're not necessarily dealing with people who have this vision of purity. So I just yeah. throw that at you and wonder what you think.
1: Uh I agree. We, we don't spend, within the Cardano community and beyond, we don't spend enough time talking about how centralized authorities and individuals and organizations may use cryptocurrencies um, in ways that were unimagined or unintended during, you know, the ideological revolution birthing phase of crypto. Um, so, at the end of the day... Cryptocurrencies are used within cultures. They're used within government jurisdictions. And I don't believe that cryptocurrencies will, just like the internet, be able to overcome culture and government control, right? It may make it harder, it may change things, but I don't believe that cryptocurrency will somehow be a a magic antidote to that type of abuse, so I agree with that uh, analysis and I think that we need to spend more time imagining how central authorities could abuse this potential. And then just to take it into another like level of, of what to watch out for, another thing we hear a lot of talk around is is the CBDCs, the centralized ba- central bank digital currencies. Mm-hmm. This is China, you know, the US creates a US stable coin, right? Um I mentioned at the beginning of the conversation this idea of programmability. I can program in incentives. I can program in behavior. So let's say there's an individual that's receiving government assistance and they receive that in the form of a cryptocurrency that's backed by the U.S. government and they can only use that cryptocurrency to pay their rent or only use that cryptocurrency to buy food and they can't use it to do anything else. Mm -hmm. So that's another example of how could unintended or unimaginable uh, use cases emerge in the years ahead? And, and we, we simply, we don't, the crypto world doesn't think enough about those scenarios.
0: Yeah, and to be clear, I, I'm not yeah. trying to make uh, the perfect the enemy of the good. There's obviously no, the, yeah. no perfect solution here. I'm just yeah. pointing out that, um, that there, is, there does feel like a certain naivete that hasn't quite been crossed yet. And that if you're really yeah. going to get your hands dirty and what you really want to do is make change, like yep. real transformative structural change. Um, yep. We, we got to think about these things a little bit more. Um, yep. Lastly, before we let you get out of here, um, I just wanted to ask about Charles Hoskinson in general, because he played yep. a role in Ethereum.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: he's obviously the the brain behind Cardano or the organizer yep. behind it. He's the most charismatic and eloquent proselytizer of crypto that I've come across. I found him mm-hmm. to be incredibly charismatic when I discovered mm-hmm. him a couple months ago and was watching mm-hmm. his videos. Um, and then after a couple months, I got a little uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, um, yeah,
0: because there's there's a little bit of I, I don't know what it is. Charisma cuts both ways, and the yeah. I can even pinpoint the video that made me uncomfortable. He came out with a video when Rush Limbaugh died, yeah. t- talking about how yeah. he kind of liked Rush Limbaugh and throwing yeah. Limbaugh in the same yeah. category as people like Christopher Hitchens, who's a hero of mine, yeah. and I was kind of like. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going yeah, on here, I- Charles. And I, I feel like there's, there, there's some, you have some kind of magnetism and some kind yeah. of pull and it's making me a little uncomfortable. And it, it, it's yeah. even in the sense that Cardano is so tied to one person. It's the ultimate yeah. decentralized yep. thing. And yet there's yep. this prophet out there yep. talking about it and people come and tell them how much they love him and send him his gifts and stuff like that. Does it make you uncomfortable at all either? Is this just
1: Absolutely. me? No, it's, it's the, no, if I had to put together a... Uh, a list of top risks to Cardano. The number one thing is Charles. <laughs> so, I, you know, Charles, uh, you know, Ethereum has uh, Vitalik and a few other people. There's, there's always going to be that founder culture. Um, and for me, the only thing that we need to focus on right now in Cardano is outgrowing the origin story. What Cardano needs to grow, grow into is a world where somebody, a young girl in Ethiopia uses Ada one day, and she has never even heard of Charles Hoskinson, mm. right? That's the goal. So Charles is indeed an incredibly visionary and charismatic. He is also a, he's a human being, and he's triggered by trolls, and he's triggered by the woke, gone crazy people, and he's triggered by the... You know, the black and white, no nuanced world that we live in. And I cringe every time he has a, what are these, these AMAs ask me anything. Like Charles, when he's delivering the voice of Cardano, like update, nothing better. Charles in the AMA ask me anything. And I say, Hey Charles, what do you think about George Floyd? I'm like, no, don't <laughs> say anything, Charles. Right? Right. And that video with Rush Limbaugh, that that soured many people. Many people. And you know, I think his argument is going to be like, look, you know, you're, you know, your crazy uncle, like you still love that person, right? He's going to kind of argue a nuanced thing, but Charles needs to be less vocal on issues that are not related to Cardano.
0: Yeah, and well, and if, the the, you know, the part of if, it that, that made me most uncomfortable too was I mean, it's not that, you know, people listen to Rush Limbaugh. Yeah. I, I think some of the things Rush Limbaugh said and did were reprehensible. I don't think that's <laughs> arguable. I mean, he had a segment where he would celebrate gay people getting AIDS in the 80s and 90s. He apologized yeah. for that afterwards, credit to him, and he built up his own um, image after that. But there are a lot of problems with Rush Limbaugh. We can talk about them. There's nuance there, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. But he seemed to land on this place that Rush Limbaugh was a self-made man, and he yeah. got to where he was going, just kind of doing it his own way. Yeah. And, and it just felt like this kind of... Well, one you could see, you could sort of feel that he he liked that narrative of being that self-made man of creating some kind of empire out of nothing. And it, I guess, I'm also reading The House of Morgan right now, which is the Ron Mm -hmm. Chernow book that maybe everybody's obsessed with Hamilton. This House of Mm -hmm. Morgan book is fucking unbelievable. It's so good. but, you know, and, and, it, it gives yeah. you a front row seat to the Rockefellers and the Carnegies and the Morgans yeah. and all these robber barons that are running around the United States in the 1890s. And they sort of talked the same way. They believed yep. their own self-importance and and built these, you know, monuments of wealth to themselves that are still around today. Um, and th- there was just a whiff of that that, I, that made there. me think twice.
1: It's there. It's there. And, you know, and Charles is a big fan of of Elon Musk, who is someone that I really struggle to embrace. Um And, uh, you know, I think Elon is full of faults and, you know, it's a house of cards. Um, but Charles thinks that Elon is just the greatest thing. And yeah, I look, look for me, Charles Hoskinson, uh, is someone who is human. He has faults. I do not agree with everything that he says, but, um, I, I believe I share in his vision. I am grateful for all of his work in assembling this team. And look, you know, people have left his company, mm-hmm. but not really. No, <laughs> like uh, you know, it's it's the core team is still there. And again, I want to outgrow Charles Hoskinson. And if Charles was sitting in front of me, I would say it and I'm sure he would look at me and he would clap
0: because
1: mm-hmm. I, I – I, I, you know, Charles has an ego like every one of us. But I truly believe that for Charles, he wants to build Cardano, turn it over to the community, and then go live on his ranch in Wyoming right so yeah, and yeah
0: and to be fair yeah, to be fair I, yeah. I hope i doubt he will listen to this but i hope if he does that it's all taken i mean this this is i would also say this to his face too if i was lucky enough to be sitting in a room with him it's uh his his vision and cardano's vision um it's it's the whole reason i i wanted to have you on the podcast to talk about because it really is compelling and it's it's very different it's a vision of a different world
1: yeah and and uh you know if we were in the front row at the beginning of other you know you see jobs yeah <laughs> most of these leaders have have pretty pretty serious faults and very few you know Steve Jobs wasn't around in the age of ask me anythings mm-hmm. <laughs> Charles puts himself out there on these shows and it's like well that's his part of the world um, but we're a very polarized society and I think it's a huge risk um, I would love to see a cardano project in cardano community that has more voices that are shared mm-hmm. and I think that's coming for sure last night we were just on a, a session with a group of individuals from wada which is the west african decentralized uh, alliance and these are people that are part of the african diaspora they're on the ground and they live in in africa and they are a voice globally for the cardano community so my hope is that decentralized uh, ethos grows genuinely
0: yeah, and that it can be used so. to empower people rather than than persons, I guess is the yeah. right way to say. It.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Gary, I know you've got to go and thank you for being so generous with yeah. your time. We super absolutely. appreciate it. And hopefully you'll come back on soon, I hope.
1: Yeah, let's do it. Take cool. care. Thank Thanks. you, Jacob.
0: Uh, if you have questions, comments, critiques, anything at all, uh, email us at info at perchperspectives.com check us out on our website. You can sign up for our free newsletter, find out about some of the geopolitical services that we provide our clients. Um, Of course, you can also leave a comment or a review on the podcast. That helps greatly. And last but not least, um, if you're not up for consulting, but you want a little more perch in your life, go to latampolitic.com. That's the address of our Latin America themed geopolitical newsletter. You can sign up in either English or in Spanish. It's $5 a month. So if you want a little more perch in your life, for the cost of a beer a month, you can have it at latampolitic.com. Thanks again for listening. Please spread the word about Perch Perspectives and the Perch Pod, and we'll see you out there.